Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. This program is on the 2018 ASHP National Survey of Pharmacy Practice in Hospital Settings, covering monitoring and patient education. With me are two of the report's authors, both of whom are on the ASHP staff. Michael Gagno is Director, Pharmacy Practice and Quality. Douglas Shekelhoff is Senior Vice President, Office of Practice Advancement. Before getting into the discussion, let me mention that the annual ASHP National Survey is conducted on a rolling three-year cycle with a particular pair of components of the medication use system covered every third year. The 2018 survey covered monitoring and patient education, and it also examined some other areas of contemporary interest, such as compounded sterile products, opioid stewardship, and specialty pharmacy services. The results reflect pharmacy practice in non-federal general and children's medical surgical hospitals. Doug, um, with respect to the primary focus of the survey, namely monitoring and patient education, what stands out from your perspective in terms of significant changes over the past three years? Well, you know, at the most, at, at, a, at a global level, we've had a question for almost 20 years uh, of hospitals on what percentage of patients are routinely monitored by a pharmacist, their medications are, are monitored by a pharmacist. And we thought it was notable this year that nearly 80% of hospitals report that a majority of their inpatients were monitored. And this was up from uh, only 10, uh, only 60% 10 years ago and less than 40% when we surveyed for this back in the year 2000. Yeah, that does sound quite a significant improvement. Mike, let me turn to you. Uh, what did the survey find with respect to the methods pharmacists use to identify patients in need of monitoring? Well, as Doug mentioned, we've seen an increase in the number of inpatients being monitored. Uh, but as far as identifying which patients to monitor, about one-third of hospitals routinely monitor 100% of their patients. Uh, so that's obviously a good thing for patient care. Almost half are using some sort of computerized data mining to identify patients. And that may be either through the EHR or through a third-party surveillance software system. Both of these responses have increased since 2015, the last time we asked the question. Uh, other responses on how to identify patients for monitoring uh, included an informal process or a formalized paper-based screening tool. Both of these methods have decreased since 2015. So we're seeing a shift away from less formal methods of identifying patients, and we're seeing a shift toward electronic tools. Well, it's interesting, Mike, you said that about a third of hospitals uh, monitor all uh, patients by pharmacists. Uh, is there some differentiation by hospital size with respect to that? There is. Uh, smaller hospitals, especially those that are less than 50 beds, are more likely to monitor all of their patients. And actually, hospitals that are less than 50 beds, about 55% of those 
indicated that they monitor all patients compared to 23% of hospitals that are greater than 600 beds. Okay. Doug, let me come back to you. Uh, please tell us about the findings related to pharmacists' involvement in drug therapy management. Well, we've asked the question trying to quantify uh, the percentage of hospitals that have pharmacists routinely involved in, in drug therapy management or, or drug patient care and assigned to patient care units. And our, our metric has been around uh, the, the percentage of hospitals that have pharmacists assigned at least eight hours a day uh, or uh, five days a week or more. And what we found is the percentage of hospitals uh, with pharmacists involved has continued to grow. This year it was up to 61% overall, uh, much more common in larger hospitals, larger than say 400 beds and less common in, uh, in smaller hospitals. Um, the services that are most commonly covered uh, by a pharmacist are critical care, med surge units, uh, in oncology, and uh, some of that is to be expected given the complexity of patients and the number of medications that they're on. So we continue to see that growth, uh, especially in, in larger hospitals, but really overall in hospitals of all size. Mm -hmm. Mike, uh, can you comment on uh, what insights does the survey offer in regard to the efforts uh, of pharmacy departments to continuously improve the medication use process? Sure. Uh, hospitals use different key metrics uh, and categories of metrics to measure their performance. Uh, so those major categories would be operational metrics, quality measures and outcomes, and medication safety assessments. Uh, tracking almost every metric within those major categories has increased since 2013. The survey data also show an increase in adverse drug event review by interprofessional committees, um, routine um, retrospective review of medication error events through root cause analysis, uh, and increased use of a formal quality improvement process, uh, such as a lean or a Six Sigma. Well, I'm interested um, in some of the additional areas, not necessarily related to monitoring and patient education, that the survey explored this time. For example, Mike, uh, compounded sterile products. Uh, were you surprised by the extent to which hospitals outsource preparation of compounded sterile products? You know, initially I was. When I first looked at the data and recognizing that one in four institutions, including about half of hospitals with over 600 beds, uh, outsourced some sort of patient-specific prescription to a 503A pharmacy, I, I was a little surprised. But then when you dig into that category a little bit and you recognize the total parental nutrition is included in there, uh, which is not uncommon, obviously, for hospitals to outsource TPN services, it's a little less surprising. Um, the fact that 70% of hospitals are outsourcing some non-patient-specific compounding um, to 503B facilities is not surprising at all, considering the increasing number of drug shortages hospitals are being forced to manage. Uh, and the 503B availability of some of these products is a pretty effective way to, to help mitigate the impact of some of the shortage of commercial products. Doug, with respect to uh, opioid stewardship, uh, again, a newer item that the survey covered, what stands out in your mind about these findings? We had surveyed hospitals on best practices around controlled substance diversion detection, but never around opioid stewardship more globally. And in this survey, we found that about 40% of hospitals reported having an opioid stewardship program 
which seems significant to us given that having an organized and coordinated effort around opioid and pain management is, is somewhat new. Uh, when we asked about the elements of their opioid stewardship program, the most common element was provision of education and the promotion of guidelines, followed by uh, emphasizing alternative non-opioid pain management methods. Uh, the pharmacist's role in these programs most often was around diversion prevention, and in about half of hospitals, uh, pharmacists had a leadership and accountability role for opioid stewardship. So some good evidence that uh, pharmacists are really stepping forward and in terms of leadership in, in, in uh, the information you just cited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mike, I'm going to come back to you. Um, you know, interesting uh, colloquialisms have evolved in hospital pharmacy related to specialty drug products, terms such as brown bagging, white bagging, and clear bagging. Uh, tell us what those terms mean and the related key takeaways from the survey. Sure. The terms brown bagging and white bagging have been around a little while. Uh, they both refer to an injectable prescription, specialty prescription, as you indicated, being delivered by an off-site non-affiliated pharmacy, uh, typically as part of a program from the pr uh, pharmacy benefits manager. Uh, brown bagging refers to a medication that's shipped directly to the patient who then takes the medication to their provider for administration. White bagging uh, would be shipped directly to the provider or to the hospital for them to administer to the patient when they come in for an appointment. Uh, the newer one is clear bagging. It refers to delivery of a medication from a hospital-owned pharmacy or specialty pharmacy uh, directly to the clinic for administration to the patient. So in this case, the medication is billed to the patient's prescription insurance. It's not part of um, it's not part of a, a program that the payer is dictating, it's typically a management strategy that hospitals might be using uh, to continue providing care for their patients when medical insurance is not paying for hospital outpatient medication. And I can give you an example. Uh, some of the growth factors used to simulate leukocyte production in, in the event of uh, chemotherapy administration, some of the payers are questioning why they're, they're sending a patient back into the hospital a day later after they've received chemo uh, to get their colony stimulating factor. And so they're not paying for it. They're telling the patient that they need to go offsite, find a home infusion site, which is disruptive to the patient's continuity of care. So by filling the prescription through the patient's prescription benefit and sending it to the clinic, hospitals are still able to take care of that patient on their own premises. They just utilize the prescription benefit instead of the medical benefit. Uh, despite potential medication storage concerns, which would be there when you're, you're talking about brown bagging because the patient is receiving the medication and they're holding onto it until they go to the provider for administration, there's still about a third of hospitals that are allowing brown bagging. So they're, they're taking on that liability of where the medication's been stored and handled. Uh, and white bagging presents a lack of revenue. The medication is being sent directly to the hospital. There's no ability for the hospital to then bill for that medication. Um, and yet 56% of hospitals are allowing white bagging. And 77% of hospitals are allowing clear bagging, which makes sense because in that, in that case, they're not only able to take care of the patient, they're at least able to recover some of the revenue through their specialty pharmacy that's on campus. Okay, very clear uh, response. That, that, um, that helps uh, put that all in, in perspective. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Doug, I'm interested in uh, 
the extent to which pharmacists are, uh, are engaged in patient care services in outpatient clinics. Uh, how would you summarize the key trends in this regard? Well, uh, health systems continue to see value in pharmacists pr uh, practicing in ambulatory clinics, and about one-third of health systems have pharmacists in clinics. Uh, the most common continue to be uh, anticoagulation clinics, medication therapy management, and oncology clinics. Um, the pharmacist's scope of practice in these clinics is quite broad and includes monitoring and ordering medication-related lab tests, patient assessment, and prescribing, usually under a collaborative practice agreement. Mike, I'm going to come back to you. You know, hospitals have a major financial incentive these days to minimize early readmission of discharge patients. Does the survey offer any insights on the extent to which pharmacy departments are contributing to this imperative? It does. And, you know, transitions of care have become a hot topic uh, in the past several years and directly related to patients that are high risk of readmission. Um, so the survey gives us some insight into pharmacy involvement in transitions of care. Nearly half of respondents indicated that pharmacists are involved with the discharge planning process, including 44% who conduct discharge counseling for at-risk patient groups. Uh, about a third of respondents indicate that their pharmacy department is the primary source for admission medication histories for reconciliation purposes, too. So pharmacy departments have clearly um, taken some initiative in, in trying to prevent hospital readmissions through both medication education, adherence, and hopefully um, the, the medication reconciliation process. Mm -hmm. Well, as we conclude our discussion here, uh, let me ask this. What lessons do you draw from the 2018 survey with respect to areas of hospital pharmacy practice that might be candidates for improvement or enhancement? Doug, you want to take a crack at that? Sure. You know, as I look at the results from this most recent survey, a couple of things stand out to me. And I, I, one is that I think that there continues to be opportunities for growth in pharmacists practicing in ambulatory clinics. Only, only, uh, only about a third have pharmacists practicing in that capacity. So there's a lot of opportunity for, for, uh, for, for improvement there. Uh, we also surveyed uh, on the pharmacist role in pharmacogenomics, and we found that uh, nearly 90% reported no pharmacy role other than dispensing. And so there's a lot of growth opportunity there. We haven't talked much about that in, in today's uh, discussion, but there's, uh, I think, opportunity around pharmacogenomics. And the, the other area that, that stood out is that when it, when it came to sterile compounding, only about one in three hospitals use any type of technology in the process. So again, a lot of, uh, a lot of room for growth there to improve the, 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 the safety and the quality of those uh, sterile compounded preparations. Mm -hmm. Mike, any comments you have on this question of uh, areas for improvement or enhancement? Yeah, we continue to see a decline in the perceived shortage of pharmacists, particularly entry-level pharmacists where we were actually showing uh, an excess, perceived uh, excess in the marketplace. Uh, however, the perceived shortage of technicians, both entry-level and experienced technicians, uh, has trended upward since 2013. This is the first year we've, we've asked about experienced technicians with sterile compounding experience. Um, but about 85% of respondents indicated a perceived shortage of this subgroup of technicians. 
So there's a clear opportunity to expand technician training and certification programs to make sure that the technicians that are working on our front lines have the experience and training needed. Okay. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate uh, you taking the time uh, to uh, respond uh, to some questions about the 2018 ASHB National Survey. I know it's a highly read uh, popular article in AJHP, and uh, this will perhaps help uh, guide readers to focus on certain facets of uh, the study. Thank you so much. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. I've been speaking with Michael Gagno and Douglas Shekelhoff of the ASHP staff, two of the authors of the 2018 ASHP National Survey of Pharmacy Practice in Hospital Settings. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.